Uh, how's that? Okay, well, great. The first five minutes and 46 seconds, we had no sound. So that entire conversation was a waste of our time, but we're not going to go ahead and go back over it anymore, I don't guess. Uh, for some reason, my uh, Mixler switched audio inputs on me, and I didn't notice. And so oh, good. It, was not, uh, it was not picking up the audio input that it's literally been set for for five years. Well, I'm still a ranger. Uh, but yes, you're still a ranger. <laughs> so let's, let's clear that up. Um, so anyway, today, uh, Mike Lindell, the MyPillow guy, released a three-hour documentary that uh, goes into very deep detail, uh, a documentary he calls Absolute Proof. Uh, that is, in his mind at least, absolute proof that the election was stolen. And he paraded a whole bunch of people uh, around for three hours in this documentary talking about all of the evidence that they believe that they have. And look, honestly, I'm not in a position to know whether their evidence is correct or not. Um, and if it is correct and they can prove it, um, I'm not sure whether I want that or whether I fear that. Because let's say that these people who he has showcased on his documentary have this proof, this absolute proof that the election was stolen by whoever they say it was, Dominion, Smartmatic, um, the Russians, the Chinese, whoever it may have been. Um, he actually seems to have a lot of suspects in who stole this. So it's, 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 it's at least in his mind... Uh, not just a conspiracy of local Democratic officials in certain precincts, but uh, a worldwide conspiracy with American corporations that supply voting machines, the Russian government, the Chinese government. Okay, you would think that there would be fingerprints enough to prove that. Uh, and I don't know if there are or there aren't. Um, but what, it, what would interest me is what happens if you can actually show that Donald Trump won the election? Good question. I have no idea. I mean, I I don't know about, I, I haven't watched this film, and I, I have no idea, like you, whether or not he uh, has any any substance to it. But I, but I was interested today to see the, the um, was it the New York Times or just Time? It came, no, it was Time. It came out with uh, the, uh, you know, the, the shadow campaign to, to uh, uh, kind of, Put the kibosh on Donald Trump to uh, to uh, to to fortify the election, as they yes. put it in their yes. article. Or as Ace of Spades says, out the election wasn't rigged. In the election was rigged, but in a good, smart, upper middle class wine and way. Yeah. Well, look, there there is no doubt that, and I I don't know whether you would call it collusion or just a a, a grouping together of like minded people who hate Donald Trump and who happen to control you know, big tech, the media, uh, and who shaped a narrative that I'll, I'll give them the credit of even saying they actually believe the narrative that they shaped, but it was certainly a narrative that everyone cooperated on to try to do everything that they could to ensure that Donald Trump lost the election. Yeah, and basically what they did was manipulate an election. Uh, which, you know, is punishable by prison in most places. Well, um, see, here's here's the thing. When you say manipulate an election, um, certainly they presented news. Certainly they ensured that one side got a better hearing than the other side did, to put it mildly. Um, 
all of which appears to be legal. Well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm talking more about the, um, the, the changes in elections. Uh, uh, well, it wasn't changed in election law. Um, well, for instance, the, was it Pennsylvania where the Supreme Court found what they did was illegal? Um, there was a, there were a number of things that were changed by secretaries of state instead of legislatures, and that's that's not a matter of debate. It happened, so that's manipulation as far as I'm concerned. And then when you you add all these other things in on top of it, um, you, you're starting to push uh, a particular outcome, and and that's that was you know I'm not saying that they all got around a big conference table and said you know Donald Trump's got to go. But it was more of an informal uh, thing, even as time says, it, it was an informal uh, coalition uh, that uh, worked toward uh, making sure Donald Trump wasn't elected. Now, yeah, and, how uh, some parts of it did it and other parts did it, you know, we, there are details in the Time article and all that good stuff. And, I, and again, the Time article, I have no idea how particular, how uh, uh Factual it is, I guess is the best way to say it. I do, I, but, I, I, but I find it interesting that uh, time is willing to ad, you know, admit it and just put it out there publicly. Oh, well, yeah, now it's just, you know, hey, yeah, we didn't no want problem. Donald, we didn't we want can throw Trump. this right out there. Big deal. Aren't we great? We didn't you want know. Donald Trump reelected, so we did whatever we could to sway public yeah. opinion away from him. And, which, which basically means we, we worked to manipulate an election uh, and make sure we got the winner we wanted, and they got it. Although that's not to say that Donald Trump didn't do his own bit to lose that election. Well, you know, I was I was in a discussion with somebody this week, and this was interesting to me. Uh, again, the uh, the old Georgia senatorial election. Um, you know, they're saying, "Well, you know, rig, 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 yak, yak, yak," and I'm going, "Do you do you know that that you know Purdue came within probably what a half a percent of winning that thing outright?" And Loeffler, if she hadn't had Collins in running as another Republican, probably would have pulled it out because there were a lot of Democrats on that side, too. But that when the day came for the runoff, 400,000 Republicans that voted in the presidential election didn't show up at the polls. Yeah, that's a that's a and the people who did show up. Voted for Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff. Yeah, and yeah, and the four hundred thousand who didn't, who would have won the election for the Republicans, why didn't they show up? I don't know. They had been perhaps I some do. of the blame they has been, to go with Donald yeah. Trump saying, "Don't show up for the election. It's all a sham. Yeah. It's rigged." Well, if yeah. it's a sham and it's rigged, why would I show up? I mean, and I think it was. It, there's certainly a lot of people on the GOP who think that basically one hundred percent of the blame for losing both of those seats in Georgia lies with Donald Trump and the way that the, the, the things that he said and did um, in the interim between the general election in November and the runoff election. And, and I have to agree with his own, He depressed his own turnout. And it was a dumb argument, and I saw it on a lot of conservative sites where they were just saying, hey, don't show up for this election. This is all a sham. It's all real. Yeah, let's boycott it. Yeah, holy crap. That, that idiot Lynn Wood. Let, boycott this election. That, you know, and I'm going... Who are you working for, dude? That is the dumbest strategy ever. I mean, if, if you, yeah, I mean, you could not throw an election to your opponent more clearly uh, if you had wanted to. Uh, I, I just, I, I never understood that tactic, and I, it clearly didn't work. 
Yeah, no, it clearly didn't. And 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 you know when you when you turn away or turn off, I should say, four hundred thousand of your voters, and they go, "Cigarette, it's not worth even showing up." Well, guess what happens? Yeah, you get COVID nineteen bills where the where where this uh, where the vice president, uh, a Democrat, uh, you know, breaks the tie and they get what they want. That's what you get. Congratulations. Well, that's what the next couple of years are going to look like. By the way, yep, in the yep. Senate. Uh, Kamala Harris basically deciding what legislation gets passed and doesn't in the Senate. Yep. And so, you know, I, 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 you know, the Republicans have no one to blame except Donald Trump for the Georgia loss and the loss of the Senate. And uh, we'll see in two years if they, if uh, everybody's wised up. Yeah. Well, you know, but we are talking. We are talking Republicans here. Okay? Yeah, so, I haven't seen you know. a lot of a lot of evidence of wising <laughs> up over the last couple of years. But um, you know, we're in the situation that we're in now. I, the the Democrats this week uh, had a House vote on Marjorie Taylor Greene. Boy, we just can't get away from Georgia, can we? Um, no, we can't. <laughs> <laughs> who was stripped of all her committee assignments um, based on some of the stuff that. She has said in the past, not not entirely sure how I feel about that, honestly. Well, I think it's I think it's the usual stuff. Now, you know, we talk about how dumb the damn Republicans spineless the Republicans are. This is how dumb the Democrats are. Uh, Marjorie Greene wasn't going to hurt anybody sitting on that committee. Uh, she wasn't going to get anything done on that committee. Now, all they did was give the Republicans a weapon that sh- should they choose to use it when they get the majority. And, you know, right, right now, Mike Lee, Senator Mike Lee, is going after Ocasio-Cortez asking, asking that she be censured for, you know, uh, uh, what she said about Ted Cruz after her little uh, drama came apart uh, this week uh, about her being, you know, almost murdered by violent insurrections. So, you know, that's just a prelude. They're going to go, you know, when, when I mean, think about it. Right now, the Democrats have a five-seat majority in the House. Five seats. And then we got, and we got uh, 2022 uh, coming up. If, if that flips, do you think Ocasio-Cortez is going to stay on her committees? Do you think uh, uh, Ileana, uh, uh, what's her name, Omar, is going to stay on her committees? Uh, hell, they may even trying to get her out of the damn Congress. Well, I mean, this is, this is stupid what they're doing, but look, they're Democrats. But look, not that the Republicans are any smarter in, in Congress, but the Democrats have managed to shoot themselves in the foot a couple of times. And I think this may be another one. You know, go back to the filibuster and mm. Harry Reid just, you know, detonating the filibuster. <laughs> and Mitch McConnell said, said to him on the Senate floor, you're not going to be in charge of the Senate forever. I mean, someday Republicans are going to get a majority and do you think we're going to forget about all this and go back to business as usual? No. If you open this Pandora's box, there's no closing it. And this seems like another thing where they've opened the Pandora's box. Now, look, now that she is a member of Congress, if she makes some of these, um, what do you call them, intemperate statements as a sitting member, okay, fair game. Uh, you, you, you got her dead to rights. But, right. Um, Boy, this just smacks of uh, well. It, it, look, it, it is partisanship. We know it's partisanship. And look, there are a lot of Democrat or a lot of Republicans who think that she's, you know, crazy. 
and who under normal circumstances wouldn't want to deal with her. And now they have to go out on this procedural limb uh, and try to make it sound like a matter of principle not to get her uh, pulled off the committees. But at the end of the day, as soon as the tables are turned, and that might be two years from now, um, Republicans are going to do the same thing. Yeah, they are. And, and the other thing is, you know, I, under, I understand uh, that the Democrats may not agree with what she said and all this good stuff, but she was elected by the people. She was put in there. She, you know, the Republican side has the right to name her to a committee. And like she said, judge me on what I do here, not what I said years ago. And, and of course, the Democrats, being the petty five-year-olds that they are, won't do it. So now, like you said, two years from now, they have set themselves up to see all kinds of mayhem uh, take place in the House should the Republicans win the majority. Yeah, they have a five-seat majority. You would think yeah, that what five they, seats. You would think that what they would want to do, and, and uh, uh, basically a tiebreaker vote in the vice president in the Senate. Um, mm-hmm. Their majority is really, really thin, and they're acting as if they have a mandate from the people. Well, <laughs> okay, I guess we'll see. Yeah, well, I don't think they're going to be happy, in, 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 you know, at, with what they've done today. I think they have just really crapped in their nest. Yeah, you know, nobody said that you had to, well, they used to say, but now I, don't, I can't think of anybody who says you have to be smart to be in politics. Clearly, well, that's a, clearly that's a you damn don't. truth. <laughs> it was funny. I was reading some, somebody this week, and I can't remember who it was. It was talking about, you know, Biden's not the brightest bulb in the pack. But he said, if you think Biden's not the brightest bulb, you ought to talk to Kamala Harris. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, speaking, of, speaking of bright bulbs, um, you mentioned Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. And, um, you know, she went off on kind of a rant this week about... You know how you know terrified she was of the Capitol policeman who came in to evacuate her. Um, I don't even get what her point was with that. Uh, he he wasn't courteous enough. He was you know too mean. And then she talked about you know when we were assaulted on the Capitol, I was in fear of my life. You were in the Cannon Office Building, which is quite a ways by the You're way, like five from blocks the away building. from the Capitol. <laughs> I've I've walked from one to the other, and it takes a while. So yeah, that was uh, that was Ms. Ocasio-Cortez being a, a drama queen, thinking that you know she could pull this off in her little uh, you know bid for for victimhood and pity, and it blew up on her. And now she's she's like most, you know, she's everybody's a misogynist, everybody's a you know you name it, they're whatever they want to the, the call them this week, uh, white supremacist the whole thing. But that's what I'm saying. Mike Lee has come out and said, look, you accused a sitting member of the Senate of attempting to get you murdered. That's serious. You don't do that. And so you should be censured. And and we'll see how this goes. I mean, this is a, this is a little shot back on the uh, Marjorie Greene thing, too. I know that. But yeah, her, her entire story came apart uh, when uh, the, uh, who was it, Mace? Uh, yeah, I believe it was, uh, or Mary Pace, I believe. Nancy Mace, there we go. Nancy Mace, I knew it come up with. Mm-hmm. Nancy Mace, who was two doors down from her, said, hey, you know, I was there too, and nobody broke into our building. Then they showed a video of everybody at that time being told to evacuate, and they were calmly walking around the halls and, you know, blah, 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 blah. It just, it, it just wasn't there. 
And so uh, now that there's blown up in her face, like I say, she's striking out all over. And it's it's really kind of scary to watch. She's whacked. Well, look, she is cynically manipulative. This is, in fact, the same woman who staged a photo op of her breaking down in abject mm. tears and misery by a chain link fence next to an empty access road. Um, yep. Eventually led to a detention facility. Um, and, of course, she got the press that she wanted out of it. She got the press that she wanted out of this. And, look, the fact that what she said was not entirely in comport with the truth doesn't really matter. Uh, check out her Twitter feed and the huge number of people who are just on her side with what she oh, said. Yeah. It's not that she is cynically manipulative and cunning in her use of the media mm. and her you know, laying down of these narratives. It's the people who are fooled by it. You remember uh, good old Kurt Eichenwald, don't you? Ah, uh, tentacle porn Eichenwald, yes. Yeah, did you see what he, he, he went off on, on uh, Nancy Mace. And he said, Congresswoman either never listened to AOC Instagram video or lied when she implied that AOC lied. And like all, he, he uses GQPers this, these days. She'll never apologize. AOC specifically said the person who charged her office was the Capitol Police. And she wrote back, she says, Kurt Eichenwald, wait, aren't you the tentacle porn guy? God, just shut that down. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely shut him down. It was hilarious. But no, yeah, but no, she never specific. She didn't specifically say the person who charged into her office was a Capitol policeman. She said someone was banging on the door and she ran into the bathroom. So she didn't know. And then she came back out and there was this policeman. I guess when her aide called her out. And he he had this kind, some kind of look in his eye, like gee, maybe he was a little harried. Who knows? You know? Yeah, maybe he was <laughs> concerned by what was happening. Yeah, and, uh, gee whiz, he, you know, it's not all about you there, Alexander. And he was insufficiently servile, which is I guess. The, yeah, that's the problem. That, that's you probably know, the he actually right he, he must have been trying. He must have been brusque in trying to do his job. Can't have that. Yeah, well, it's just it's it's become an interesting circus to watch in Washington yeah. D.C. now. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's like you know a bunch of five year olds in a room trying to figure out uh, what tantrum they want to throw next. Yeah, I just I wonder how we're going to make it through the next couple of years um, with all of this with all of this going on. It's just... Well, I'm yeah. I, I'm really interested though to see how the this this little new arrangement with a 50-50 Senate and a five-seat majority in the House works, because I, you know, as much hell as the moderate Democrats raised after this last election, after looking at the you know the waste that Republicans uh, uh, laid to their their uh, um, uh, House plans. Uh, I, I'm just really going to be interested to see how many of them are now willing to w- march in lockstep with this extreme agenda. I mean, good old Sheila Jackson Lee introduced a gun control uh, thing this this week, uh, where you have to get psychological evaluations. Uh, you have to pay $800 in insurance to the government. Uh, it, you have to give your give the the gun type, serial number, and uh, in, in where it's kept uh, to the government. Uh, and if you don't do all these nice things uh, and you still own a gun, you can be fined up to $150,000 and spend 25 years in jail. So that's where she's headed with that. That's now on the floor. They just uh, 
uh, introduced a bill. What was it on the uh, on the, the uh, labor? You know, right to work uh, states. Twenty seven right to work states would cease to exist if this goes through. So I'm interested to see how these things go. Will they even get out of the house? And if they get out, get out of the house, you know, what happens in the Senate? It's going to be a very interesting legislative uh, season. You know, more and more, the longer I spend away from it, the more I miss the Texas legislature, which meets for three months every two years. <laughs> yep. That was the way this one was supposed to work, too. But, you know, come in, do your business. They even did their business in the summer when it was hot. So they'd get the hell out of town and go home and earn a living. Yeah, well... Now we have an entrenched political class with all of the uh, benefits that accrue from its existence. Aren't we lucky? Yeah, very, very lucky. <laughs> uh, it's just... yeah. Go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to point out some, a couple things that we had, uh, or I had put up on Q and O. One of them was um, on the Facebook page. Uh, one of them was this, again, we're, we're, this is the media for you. Um, you know, when, when, when Donald Trump was president, it was kids in cages. CNN this week walked, uh, wrote about the Biden administration prepares to open overflow facility for migrant children. So now, unaccompanied migrant children in overflow facilities, that's fine. That's good. You know, they're going to the same place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we have to wonder if Ms. Ocasio-Cortez is going to be at the chain link fence uh, soon. No, because they put people in kind and forgiving cages. Donald ah. Trump put pe puts people in the bad cages. But look, I thought they were the same cages that Barack Obama. Well, built, see, that's hey. the thing, isn't it? You know, all of those pictures of the kids in cages from 2013 and 2014. I remember who the president was then, and it wasn't Donald Trump. Right. But, of course, that, that doesn't matter. You know, the, That the, was then, this is now. Yeah, the narrative makes it around the world. You know, was it the, a, a lie can travel the world before the truth can put on its shoes, according to yep. Winston Churchill. And that, yep. that seems to be the case. By the way, speaking of this election thing, I don't know if you had, had heard of this, but uh, Dominion voting machines, which are the prime suspect for all of the uh, conspiracies about conspiracies about right. who stole the election, um, they have now sued Rudy Giuliani for one point three billion dollars, mm -hmm. and they have now sued Fox News for two point seven billion dollars because apparently around four is a, a nice number. Um, and Lou Dobbs is going. Where'd my program go? Yeah, Lou Dobbs out at Fox. Um, here's the thing. It, whatever evidence that people like Mike Lindell think they might have, the fact is if you're suing somebody for $2.7 billion, when you walk into federal court, you better be awfully sure that they don't have the proof that you say they can't possibly have. Yeah. Yeah, and and based, based on what I know about the Dominion setup that we had here they don't so this looks like a big win so, so so dominion may actually change their business model 
from supplying voting machines to simply suing people who say their voting machines are being manipulated from China? Well, it's it's not, you know, it's one thing to say that hey, it's possible this would happen. It's another thing to, to, to present it as fact uh, to the media. You, you, okay, well, now you get to prove those facts in court. And, and that's where this belongs. I mean, I don't blame them, frankly. And uh, Mike, uh, Mike Lindell, for his, uh, his documentary, he bought three hours on OAN to show that uh, documentary. Yeah, which I'm sure was really expensive. Um, well, yeah, oh, yeah, must be worth a gold mine. Um, but they did run a 90 second disclaimer prior to his documentary saying, Oh, did they? Saying he bought this time. This is not yep. our show, it has nothing to do with us. This is all his opinion. We have Which nothing to do with it. And they explicitly said, and we especially have nothing to do with any mention of Smartmatic or Dominion voting. <laughs> and we ain't got a billion dollars huh? yeah. yeah I can pretty much guarantee you that OAN doesn't have a billion dollars yeah so that was uh, yeah that was that has lawyer all over it, doesn't it yeah and so I'm I'm thinking my, considering that um, uh, Dominion voting systems is going for um, what 10 figure judgments I suspect that Mike Lindell um, better have all his ducks in a row or my pillow is going to be their pillow. Yep. Well, you did see where our, our buddy, um, David Hogg, what's his name? David Hogg is starting his own pillow company. Yeah. That's brilliant. That's, that's brilliant. Isn't it? Look, that boy is not, it does not belong in Harvard. Well, maybe he does. That kid is so full of himself. <laughs> And then the first thing he puts out is a tweet. He goes, does anybody know where there's a union pillow maker? Yeah. Well, good luck selling them pillows. That's all well, I yeah. Say. I mean, like, like, like you, you, you see the implication here, though. This guy's not going to make his own pillows. He's looking for a union pillow maker. He's going to put his name on him thinking his freaking name is enough yeah. to sell more pillows than the other guy. Again, that's... That's this uh, enormous sense of self-regard that this kid has. No, no. You know, you know this. Well, I mean, that's a general problem. In fact, the sense of entitlement and 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 unending self-confidence in your lack of ability um, that, that seems to be a um, a characteristic of younger Americans these days. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Hey, I got a question for you. Yeah. If if the $15 an hour minimum wage is so important and so good for workers, why are people like uh, Biden and Bernie Sanders saying it was never my intention to raise the minimum wage immediately and during the pandemic? Yeah, well. I mean, if it's good, it's good, isn't it? Yeah, well, look. My my counter argument to that is why not just raise it to five hundred dollars? Well, yeah, I know, that, I know, but this, but these guys, you know, these guys know damn well, based on that on that uh, uh, freaking sentence right there, that this is not good, that 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 it harms the businesses, and that's why they don't want it right now and in the middle of a pandemic. You know, I, out in your neck of the woods. Apparently, they, they decided some of the some of the city councils and mayors and stuff decided that'd be a great idea to pay the heroes in the grocery business an extra four dollars an hour for four months 
because, you know, they get to reward others with your money and then take the credit for it. The problem was Kroger, who owned the Ralphs and the other stores, closed a bunch of them because they couldn't afford the $4 an hour raise for 120 days. Yeah, you know, the... And I don't know where the disconnect comes from. And, and, and I think it's purely a political disconnect. And it's, it's just a, a, a means of vote buying to say, hey, we're, yeah, going increase, absolutely. we're going to increase your salary. But, you know, there's not some, you know, hidden pile of money that Scrooge McDuck has that can just supply all of this. If I'm running a small business, especially one now in the middle of a pandemic where, you know, businesses pretty tight as it is if you tell me i have to raise the minimum wage 50 dollars an hour i'm either going to have to fire a bunch of people or just shut the whole shooting match down um and that's true even when the economy is you know going great um mm-hmm. you can't from washington dc just by fiat say um this is the the minimum livable wage and then expect it not to have economic effects if economic reality simply doesn't support a wage that high. Um, You know, let's just say you're an employer, right? So I'm going to pay you $15 an hour. Well, it's not really $15 an hour because when you count um, Social Security and state disability insurance and workman's comp and all the other things you have to pay, it's actually a, about a dollar thirty-six per hour in the United States, on average, is the cost of employment. So, you know, fifteen times one point three six. Um, well, now we're at twenty-some dollars an hour, and if your employee does not produce twenty-some dollars an hour in economic output or revenue, you're going to lose money. That's not because you're an evil exploiter of the worker. That's just an economic reality. You can't pay someone more than they bring in, um, or you're going to go out of business. And this seems like it's so blindingly obvious. And, I know. And it's blindingly obvious, but everywhere but in Washington, D.C. And uh, Yeah, absolutely right. The other thing is, he, here is government basically buying votes with, with someone else's money. Yeah, I'll make your employer pay you $15 an hour. Well, Yeah, I'm not going to pay you $15 an hour. I'll take the taxes off of it. You'll pay me more, but your employer's going to pay you for this. I mean, it's just not right. Well, somebody's going to make $15 an hour, but uh, everybody else is going to be ordering their fast food from computer kiosks because there ain't going to be anybody sitting at the cash register. That's right. And the other... You know, constantly, the thing I always talk about with labor, what always happens when the minimum raise goes up is all union wages go up. So, you know, you're going to pay more for labor uh, or you're not. And, and that's what happens with the lower skilled jobs. If, if it's a low skilled job, you can usually find a way to automate it. And, you know, when you automate it, those automated pieces don't call in sick. They don't, you know, they show up. They're there every day. <laughs> you don't have to buy, You don't have to pay insurance and yada yada. Basically, what you have to do is have a maintenance contract, and that's what happens. You know, people look at this and say, "Screw it! I'm not messing with this anymore. I, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to automate where I can." 
And that's that's what's going to happen in fast food because people are not going to pay that much money for fast food. Fast food folks know it. Yeah, and you brought up a really interesting point, one that very few people realize, that it's not so much, I mean, we can talk all we want about how, you know, all work should have dignity and be paid a minimum amount so that people can, you know, survive above the poverty line, working full-time for minimum wage, which, by the way, I'm hard-pressed to think of a minimum wage job where somebody is working full-time. I'm, I'm sure that there are some. But generally, minimum wage jobs are part-time jobs and jobs for newer entrants into the job market. But that aside, little-known fact about the minimum wage is that many unions have contracts that stipulate their base salary is some multiple of the minimum wage. So if you raise the minimum wage, you are automatically raising all of those um, companies that are operating under those collective bargaining contracts to raise the wages of all of their workers by whatever the multiple of the minimum wage is. So it's not just a case where you're getting rid of jobs for uh, young workers and new entrants to the job market. That's certainly happening. But you're also affecting the uh, wages of people across the board. And that means that companies across the board are going to have to find ways to to either cut costs or raise prices to consumers. So you're either going to have higher unemployment or you're going to have to have higher inflation, which you're now or, going to have to com- you're now going to have to try to fight with with uh, monetary policy. That's right. Or you're going to have a, a much smaller uh, workforce uh, or a completely uh, you know completely gone workforce and and, and the uh, company automates. So th- those are the choices that employers have got to make, that owners have to make. Uh, they have to look at this. You know, they're not in this for their health. They're in their, the profit motive is a good and moral motive. Uh, and, and so they're in this to make a profit. They have sunk all their time and their money into this endeavor to make money. Uh, and, and so when, they, when they're forced to, to <clears throat> up the labor cost and have no control over that anymore, then they have to make decisions in other areas. And, and that decision means that, as we've gone on and on about, that uh, they probably aren't going to employ as many people as they did, if at all. Yeah, and speaking of unemployment increasing, one of the first things that Joe Biden did as soon as he picked up his pen was kill the Keystone Pipeline. A lot of, yeah. good, uh, a lot of good union jobs just uh, snuffed it at the stroke of a pen. It was kind of interesting. Somebody put something up that showed the difference between someone who assembles uh, solar panels and someone who works a, a journeyman pipe uh, uh, pipe fitter. And it was double for the pipe fitter, du- double the salary of a... So, so yeah, these guys are going to really go look uh, uh, at, you know, assembling solar panels at half the price. You know, because... I- Here's the thing. Yeah, and that, that whole thing, well, they can just learn how to assemble solar yeah, panels. Yeah, they left. Oh. learn to code. Learn yeah, to code. Yeah, exactly. The, the 2020s version of learn to code. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, you've been driving a truck all your life, and that industry's going away, but you can learn to code. Uh, I got bad news for you. This is not the right time to learn to code. Well, and, and what the, gets me and what irritates me so, Yeah, what irritates me so badly is the way they just wave this away. Oh, oh, you can find something else. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. You know. tell that to the steel workers in Pennsylvania. 
Yeah, I mean, my God, you know, I someone works all their life to learn a trade, to learn a trade, and they're finally to the point where they're making good money. And this guy, and this guy up here, just waves your job away. Ah, you can find something else. Well, here's the the other thing that's just incomprehensible to me. Now, this is obviously a Obama era policy that's been reinstated. And the Obama State Department themselves said, we really need this pipeline. There is no upside to not having this pipeline. And I don't understand in any way, shape, or form how canceling this pipeline is in the interest of the United States in any way, shape, or form. Or in the interest of, as they're trying to defend it, uh, environmental sanity. Look, all of these tar sands from, um, from Alberta, that oil is going to go to the United States one way or another. It's going to go to the Gulf Coast where those refineries are that can uh, refine this heavy crude. And if we're not going to do it via pipeline, safely and cheaply and inexpensively, we're going to do it by train, which is actually going to... And, actually going and truck. And, and truck, which is actually going to increase the costs and increase the you know environmental effects of transporting that oil. It's not like the oil is just going to stay in Alberta. It's still coming down here. We're just changing the way it comes down here to a way that is less environmentally friendly and more expensive and makes foreign sources of oil a more palatable alternative uh, in terms of cost for getting the oil over here by ship rather than transporting it via train and truck. So it makes us more reliant on foreign sources of oil uh, rather than oil from our friendly neighbor to the north, the people who are just like us, except they say oat. Um, and a boat? And a boat. Um, I, 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 it's just incomprehensible to me. I, I honestly can't think, and I've tried, I've actually tried to see it from what is apparently the Biden administration's point of view, and none of their reasoning makes any sense at all to me. I, I no, it doesn't. To our advantage to do this. Yeah, two, two words. Warren Buffett. Um, <clears throat> he's the guy that owns all the, all the uh, rail lines up there. And he's a huge Democratic donor. So that has to factor in somewhere. And now he stays busy. But you're right. You know, when you're looking at, I, I forget, you're, you're shipping something like 880,000 barrels a day if you're using the Keystone Pipeline. And, and that fills up, you know, a couple, 3,000 rail cars and 4,000, I think, tanker trucks every day. I mean, come on. And, and this is safer and, and more environmentally friendly and all this good stuff. I mean, my God. One one train derailment, and you've probably, you know, covered Keystone at leaks for the next hundred years. Uh, one of our one of our listeners comments: they actually think they're choking off production and making electric cars more productive. Um, they may think that, but even that doesn't pass the smell test for two reasons. Number one, um, electric cars aren't attractive because the technology that makes them competitive with automobiles is not there yet. It may be in 10 or 15 years, uh, and they may be very viable alternatives to internal combustion vehicles, but they aren't now. And now is when we're going to use the oil, not 15 years from now. And number two, even assuming that everyone in this country uh, switched from gasoline-powered vehicles to electric-powered vehicles, 
we don't have the electrical generation capacity to charge all of those vehicles so that we can drive them anywhere. Um, that's you know the, the problem that certainly we're facing in California, a state that already has brownouts due to the lack of uh, electrical capacity. And now we're talking about essentially doubling it to replace the internal combustion engine by 2035. But try to build a new power plant, not just in California, but almost anywhere else. Good luck with that. Yeah. And at worst, all you're doing is if, if we decide that we're going to open up, you know, like natural gas or or other power plants, uh, okay, what we're really doing is transferring all of that carbon emission usage, if that's what you're concerned about, from individual vehicles to large central utilities. Um, but we're not really solving the problem that we think we're solving. We're, we're simply redistributing where the pollution is coming from. Well, <clears throat> that that's your, your point's well made in, in that everyone thinks that they've stopped uh, the production of the oil sands or the uh, oil sands uh, production with this. And it's not, it's going somewhere. Uh, it could go to the West coast and go to China, who knows, but the bottom, bottom line, it is going somewhere. And, and, and the, the means uh, are, are far dirtier than anything. This, this pipeline, I mean, pipeline technology uh, today is much superior because of, uh, the scrutiny, yeah, and that's fine. Uh, than it was that it was, you know, 50 years ago. Uh, yeah, there are going to be accidents, there are going to be leaks. Uh, you know, that's that's what happens with these things. But with the monitoring stations and 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 uh, all the uh, the the abilities they have now to monitor what what's going on in these pipelines, uh, chances are any spill would be would be uh, caught immediately and be able to be dealt with. And I mean, I think I was just reading something here about a, a, a train, a 90 car train that uh, derailed in Western Alabama and set the place on fire. Uh, it was full of, full of oil. Uh, that's, we don't want that. We don't want those kind of disasters. Uh, and a pipeline is not uh, really the, the means by which that type of a, a disaster is going to take place. And I, I just don't understand it either. The other thing is the price of crude is up. Uh, apparently China and India are, are demanding more and more. Um, we're now shutting down production, which is going to squeeze it even higher. Um, I mean, I, this is this doesn't take, again, this doesn't take a rocket scientist just to figure out where, where the price of gasoline is going to go. And, of course, the Democrats are fine with that because the more it costs, the less you're going to buy and the less you're going to drive. The, the obvious problem that we talk about all the time is the people it hurts the most are those that can afford it the least. Yeah, all of these policies disproportionately affect poorer people than richer people. Richer people yeah. always have options. Yeah, you got, you know, John Kerry, he just takes a private plane to get an environmental award in Iceland. Well, look, it's no, the no only biggie. way that a person like him can spread the message of uh, environmental responsibility to all the little people. Yes, and it's so gratifying to have him, you know, jet in and tell us how screwed up we are. I mean, look, you can't expect John Kerry to fly first-class commercial like some oh kind of animal. God! He have the proper Chardonnay, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, 
the policies that hurt the very people who you tell are your friends. Well, you know, it, it's like going back to, you know, to immigration policy. You can't, on the one hand, bitch and moan about how, you know, lower and middle class incomes have stagnated since 1986, a year that I picked for a specific reason, and then have at that same time essentially unlimited immigration to the United States and bring in a whole bunch of workers who will now, you know, depress the wages because they will, as we are so often told, willing to do jobs that Americans aren't willing to do. Therefore, we need to bring them in. Okay. Well, you're depressing the, you know, don't don't complain about depressing the the incomes of middle and lower income Americans whenever one of the primary reasons why those incomes have remained depressed is a policy of essentially unlimited immigration and apparently routine uh, routine amnesties for everyone who managed to make it here illegal. Yeah, and you know, Biden's hero Chavez fought against that. For the very reason that the people he represented represented the migrant workers. And when I say migrant, they lived there, but they went to different fields to work. Okay, that's the migrant he was talking about, but they were U.S. citizens. And the reason he fought so hard to get them better wages was because the illegals would come in and work for less. I mean, that's what the, and he was a death, you know, just completely against illegal immigration. Um, but apparently, you know, that just doesn't that just doesn't resonate anymore. Yeah, it's 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 amazing, and it's amazing to me how many people support those policies. Um, without well, I guess it's not because I mean, what is the center point of of progressivism in the United States? Um, it is largely not poor and underserved communities. Um, it is largely wealthy, upper middle class, white people. College. Yeah, college educated. educated white white people. Yeah, I mean, that is really sort of the center of gravity for the progressive movement. Um, it, it, and, you know, with their deep knowledge of the plight of the working class, they come up with these policies. <laughs> yeah. They're wonderful people, aren't they? Yeah. Well, look, we, we, we somehow built the system. And, and if you want to blame anybody, I, I guess there's you have to start with the founders of the republic who never even considered term limits as part of the Constitution. That might have avoided a lot of trouble because now we have... Well, people, yeah. Like Joe, Biden, if you think, Joe Biden, if you who think, will now be going for a century's worth of what we call public service nowadays. Or half yeah. a century. Yeah. If you think about it, though, the way they, I guess they thought it would continue the way they did it from now on. They didn't anticipate, uh, although they should have, uh, because they were good students of human nature, they didn't anticipate a, a political class growing up. And, and that that lack of anticipation has basically allowed career politicians to take root and government to become, well, what it is today. Well, look, if you want a class-based analysis of the founding fathers and their perception of the government, it was 
yeah, I'll leave for a couple of months, for two or three years, maybe up to six, to head up to Washington, D.C. and get done what I got to get done there, and then I got to get back to my farm in Virginia. Yeah. It never so they didn't, it seems, never they, to have occurred to them that, hey, I could stay up here in Washington, D.C. all year long. Yeah, but think about it. You know, they, they also, you had to be, you had to be, uh, you had to meet certain qualifications to vote. So <laughs> they all came from that class that could vote. And, and what that required was you'd be a producer. You had to have skin in the game. And yeah. that's not the case anymore. I no. mean, Joe Biden's, no, Joe Biden's never held a job. Uh, he has no calluses on his hand. He's never learned a trade except this crap. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, it's a skill like anything else. I guess. Although not one that Joe Biden has been particularly good at. I mean. <laughs> As you can tell by his Middle East foreign policy, yeah, we're not going to support Saudi Arabia and Yemen. Uh, we're going to open up uh, Iran again. And, oh, Israel, just settle down and be quiet. Um, yeah, we're, we're right back to the Obama era. Oh, and yeah, strategic patience with China. That's always nice. That old flat tire of foreign policy that yeah. Obama started. Uh, no, look, that's a, I'm going to have to disagree with you there. That was the foreign policy that George H.W. Bush started. Okay. We had, we had the chance, whenever the Chinese Communist Party showed their true colors in 1989, of choosing to disengage from them. It would have been the perfect time to do so because the Soviet Union was racing headlong towards collapse. Um, that was the time to back off from China. No, we decided we'd engage with them. We'd bring <laughs> build them all our factories there. We'd send our entire <laughs> supply chain there because we figured, hey, if we do that, it'll liberalize their entire country. Well, clearly that is not a policy that has worked for the past 30 years now. Um well, 30 years. Well, yeah, 30 years, almost almost 40. Um, and are we ever going to uh, take a second look at that policy? I mean, Donald Trump slightly did. Uh, Joe Biden certainly isn't going to. And, you know, nah. and by the way, you know, my default position is if Joe Biden has a foreign policy position, it must be wrong. Yeah. Whatever it is, do the opposite. Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, the Chinese are going to not be under any pressure it just seems again things that seem like a no-brainer encourage companies to move their supply chains to central and south america work in our hemisphere with countries that while they may not really like us a bunch uh don't see themselves as our primary global opponents well and the fact that we could raise their ships you know their boats uh, by doing that, uh, help them uh, develop, help them uh, put a middle class together, help them uh, become a bigger economic power. And there's no question that would benefit us as, as well. Yeah, well, uh, as one of our listeners says, channeling Friedman in China didn't really work out. The party was just too strong. To displace. <laughs> Yeah, look, I mean, you know, Milton Friedman, and I, I, I distinctly remember, you know, watching um, Freedom to Choose on PBS and, of course, uh, regularly, relatively since then, where, you know, he goes to Hong Kong and shows how different it is from China and how the free market has worked out there. Sure, but it only worked out there because you had a government that was willing to respect the rights of the people. 
Otherwise, you might end up with a situation like China or, to a rather lesser degree, Singapore. Uh, there is no political freedom to speak of in Singapore in any way, shape, or form. But you can get rich as hell there. And as it turns out, people value getting rich as hell more than they value picking their own leader. Yeah, and you can look at Russia today, the oligarchs. I mean, it's, it's pretty much the same thing. You're watching this thing with Putin and, and the... Uh, <laughs> how he handles his political rivals, and then talk about Trump. Yeah, it really is very, very close. I mean, it's, it's absurd. It's absurd what's going on over there in, a, you know, in Russia. And uh, what, what do we see? We, we see the oligarchs. Uh, we see the good old uh, Russian hierarchy, uh, again, uh, doing whatever it takes to stay in power. I mean, it's um, nothing's changed except the flag. Yeah. Uh, well, on a private basis, if you live in Russia today, you have a lot better chance of making something of yourself and making money. The only thing that you know that you can't do is get involved with what they call politics, which is mm. to say, never say anything bad about Vladimir Putin. Apparently. Not that, you know, Vladimir Putin's going to come after you, but the chances are high. That but you somebody will, is. That you will <laughs> fall out of a, uh, of a seventh-story window. Yeah, I noticed that, uh, I can't remember the, uh, his, his uh, opponent's name, but his, his opponent's doctor suddenly died. Coincidence? Just being <laughs> gone. <laughs> and, and I mean, it's amazing how that, how, you know, how often that happens over there, things like that. Yeah, but look, I mean, it's no different in China or Singapore or wherever. Although in Singapore, they are a little more civilized about it. They won't toss you out of a window in the middle of the night. They'll just throw you in prison. Yeah, and keep you there. And, and you'll you never there. see the light of day again. Or in China, you can be sent off to a camp to be re-educated. Or Uyghurd, as they say now. Yeah. By the way, I don't know if you saw this, but I guess it was on NBC. One of their hosts said that, you know, maybe we should start thinking about drone striking all of these oh, yeah. insurrectionists. Oh, yeah. It's freaking amazing. I mean, they don't even hide it anymore. Yeah, that was, uh, God, what was that? It was, it was, it was MSNBC. Yeah, Nicole Wallace. Yeah. Yeah. She, she suggests we use domestic drone strikes on Americans as a solution to lockdown protesters. Lockdown protesters, for God's sake. Hmm. They'll kill you if you don't lock down these people. I mean, this is, ah! Well, you know, when you've got power and you think you're never, ever going to lose it, the mask comes off. And for a lot of these people, I the mask swear. is coming off. You know, I've been saying for years, you know, the, the left could not be doing more to foment a civil war in this country if they were trying. Start start drone striking American citizens. Yeah. <laughs> God. This is, I mean, she just said it on national TV, for God's sake. Well, you know, part of the problem is the decreasing tolerance that anyone has in this country to hear dissenting opinions. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, they want, uh, it is, um, who was I read? Megan Fox wrote a nice little piece about the uh, cancel culture. And I think I put it up on the QNO Facebook. But, uh, yeah, it, it pretty much outlines exactly the way things are going and what you can expect in the future. And, and it is eerily like 1984 by Orwell. Yeah, and look, it's not just on the left. I, I can remember 
on the day after the election, and actually it started on election night, Fox News called Arizona for Trump fairly early. In fact, well before anybody else called it. And as it turned out, they were right looking at the returns. Um, they just said, look, based on what we know of Arizona's electorate, uh, at this point, there's no way for Donald Trump to win this state. It's over. And they called it. Um, how many people have, have stopped watching Fox News? Um, in fact, I personally know people who just won't watch Fox News anymore. Well, they're traitors. Traitors to, to who exactly? Uh, but if you're turning off Fox News because they're not conservative enough for you, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. You better start your own station. <laughs> and I give you OAN. Yeah. You know, but yeah. how, how well, but of course that takes us back to the general question of how well informed is anyone in this country by watching the, the news that we produce? Well, that's right. They're not. And we've proven that many, many times. Uh, well, they've proven it for us many, many times. You know, how many, how, just think back, anybody, think back uh, of what you got first blush from all the news on cable uh, about a story. And then two days later, you find out it's almost exactly the opposite of what they reported. Yeah, it's almost never listen to any news story. Wait for 48 hours. Exactly. Yeah. To figure and, out I mean, that's. Is. You know, that's that's what I've come down to now, and, I, and I've said this before. Um, I wait. I read. I wait. And, and and before I'll say, yeah, that's probably the way it happened, uh, most of the time, you know, I'll have waited that 48 hours. And more and more. So, well, it's like, it's like the, um, <clears throat> I was just reading a thing today by the, I think he was the chief of the Capitol Police, and what he went through trying to get help that day because they, of the, the, the so-called insurrection because <clears throat> they expected a bigger crowd and how he was turned down here and how he was turned down there. And then they went into the timeline when the first people started trying to get into the Capitol break in. And they said, yeah, that was like 45. Oh, Donald Trump was speaking then. He hadn't even, he wasn't even halfway through his speech when these people were breaking in. And so the, 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 they, they came to the point where it said, so if someone went from Donald Trump's speech to the Capitol, they'd have shown up 45 minutes after the, initial, the assault on the Capitol had begun. Yeah, I don't think so. So, yeah, again, nobody tried to put a timeline together during it. You know, it was all almost like a, a written narrative. This is the way it went. Now, I'm not trying to say Donald Trump doesn't have, uh, you know, some responsibility here. But what I'm trying to say is the reporting was you know, sensationalistic, lacking a lot of fact, and went right to press with it and, and started pointing fingers and saying, this is the way it happened without any freaking proof. And this is something we see over and over and over again. And I suspect we're going to keep seeing it because, look, whenever they try, and Matt Tybee uh, has, a, like, and you can find it online on, on YouTube, it's like an hour-long lecture where he just lays it down step by step 
how we moved from turning news from basically being a public service that had to be largely inclusive through all points of views into a profit center. And they figured out the only way that we can really make a profit in news, because CBS, for example, uh, lost money on news for years, but they considered it a public service. The second they said, nope, this has to be a revenue center, uh, they figured out pretty quickly what we have to do is find an audience that wants to hear something and tell them that thing that they want to hear. And it's worked for MSNBC. It's worked for Fox. It's working now for um, Newsmax and OAN. Find the audience, tell them what they want to hear. Which is fine, yeah. but it ain't journalism. Yeah, and when you figure that, given the last election, you, you basically set up, you're going to get half the country, that's good enough. Speaking, so, uh, speaking of journalism and fact-checking, I don't know if you saw this, but Snopes uh, this oh, week yes. took um, uh, the uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez story of you know being in the, what she called Right. Her. And by the way, you know, when I, I said earlier that Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez is a cynical manipulator, when you look at the actual words of what she said, she didn't claim to be in the Capitol building. She said she was in the Capitol complex. Now, for me, as just a regular person listening, I think that means you're in the Capitol. But, of course, it doesn't. It means you're five blocks away in the Cannon Office Building, which is technically part of the, quote-unquote, Capitol complex. So, um, uh, they uh, say uh, that the claim that um, she exaggerated the danger she was in during the uh, Capitol riots uh, that claim they rate as mostly false, um, saying that um, uh, the statement is that Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez exaggerated the danger she was in during the Capitol riot in that she wasn't even in the Capitol building when the rioting occurred. They rated this as mostly false and then immediately say what's true, Ocasio-Cortez wasn't in the main Capitol building where the House and Senate chambers are located. Okay, stop. Stop right there. That's what, that's what the criticism is. And then they go and say, well, she never said that she was in uh, the Capitol building. Uh, it say, was painful to read that. She book. did say she was in her office. And her office, in case you didn't know, is in the Cannon office building, again, five blocks away. Um, so what's true is that she wasn't in the Capitol. But what's false is those people who say that she wasn't in the Capitol. Okay. You know, I used to love Snopes. I used to go there to check out any of the mm-hmm. urban legends and stuff there. It's 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 unreadable to me now. It is. That was the most painful thing I've read in a long time. That 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 whoever wrote that arm had to be twisted in a pretzel when they got finished. I mean, that is just you want ultimate parsing of words. There it is. I mean, that there is no doubt in anybody's mind who read Ocasio Corset or heard her little, <clears throat> you know, victim, uh, victim tape that she was making, she was implying that she was where the insurrection took place. But the way that, and she, that she was scared to death for her life, and, and that's why she had the right to condemn Ted Cruz for almost getting her murdered. But the way that she phrased it, she can actually come back and truthfully say, I never said I was in the Capitol building, which is true. 
You didn't. But you did say it in such a way that a reasonable inference could be drawn that you were, in fact, in the Capitol building. And that's precisely why she phrased it that way. Yeah. But as it comes out, you know, anyway, <laughs> it, <clears throat> it's like David, it's like David Hogg. David Hogg wasn't even in the school when, it, when the shooting took place. Yes, but he implied and, and, he was in the school. Yeah, and somehow he's a survivor. And now he's a survivor. He has labeled himself as a survivor and a victim. He wasn't even there. Yeah. Yet we let him get away with it. Well, apparently they're not going to let AOC get away with it, and I'm fine with that. Yeah, well, not only did, did David Hogg get away with it, but now he's going to have his own pillow company. Well, <laughs> he cried. He's going to lend okay. his name to a pillow company because of the... The amazing cachet that the existence of his name exactly. Bring. I suspect I suspect it ain't going to work out like the George Foreman grill. <laughs> oh, well. Which, by the way, speaking of, it just just occurred to me. Can you think of anybody in modern American life whose image changed so radically from the George Foreman who fought Muhammad Ali? in Mombasa to the George Foreman who was hawking the George Foreman grill. No. I mean, he just seemed like uh, uh, just a very, very menacing person in the 1970s. To Mr. Friendly by my grill. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, that is the most amazing transformation of a public persona I think I've ever seen. And, it was amazing. And, and it's it's I don't know if you've ever seen the movie When We Were Kings, which is sort of the, the documentary that was filmed around the Foreman Ali fight in Mombasa. I haven't. And uh, it, it really is a great film, by the way. It's, it's a great documentary, and you should watch it. But George Foreman steps off that plane in his 1970s Superfly outfit. <laughs> 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 and he just looks like he is ready to kill everyone he meets. I mean, this guy was just super menacing. And then you look at those George Foreman grill commercials and his five sons named George. And All of them. <laughs> That's right. And he just, uh, seems like, he just seems like a fella you'd like to have as your neighbor. He just seems like a really friendly fella. That was, George. Not, that was not George Foreman of 1974. <laughs> George, let's have a beer. <laughs> oh, and you think he'd be a great guy to have a beer with. Now, he is yeah. a famous minister, so whether he would have a beer, I'm not entirely sure. Oh, well. <laughs> That's why I like my ministry. He says, you know, Bruce, I can't find anywhere in the Bible where it says he shouldn't drink. You know. He says, much to the chagrin of my staff. Yeah, you know, um, coming out of really, really conservative Christianity, um, yeah. I always grew up. You know, knowing that uh, alcohol, just just having the merest drop of alcohol touch your lips was just a horrific sin, as was dancing or women wearing pants. And (laughs) which, you know, basically, Dale, what you're talking about is, you know, a variation on Islam. Islam, most of the most of the stuff is has nothing to do with Islam. It's 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 a variation thereof. I'm I'm talking about, uh, you know, wearing the burqa and all this good stuff. I mean, if you go to what is it, Malaysia and some of the other, they 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 don't do that. Yeah, so it's you know, many many things in religion have been 
subverted by men. Yeah. And, oh, and by uh, the way, you know, this whole thing, Christians can't drink. That is largely un-American and only un-American yeah, religious. Yeah, I would have believed that. Uh, I would, well, I know it's not Catholic. That's for damn sure. No, that is, that is largely American <laughs> Protestantism. And one of the funniest yeah, things is. to watch over the past uh, 20 or past 20 years or so is watching how my father, who wouldn't even go to movies. In fact, when my dad was a big Star Trek fan. And when Star Trek The Motion Picture came out in 1979, we went to the theater and saw it. And after we saw it, on the drive home, my father said, please don't mention to anybody that we went to the theater to watch a movie. <laughs> and I've seen that guy go from this really uptight, straight-laced guy to a guy who doesn't mind having a glass of wine with dinner. I mean, he yeah. Lightened up real a lot over the past twenty years, yeah. which is unusual well, for a guy from fifty-five to seventy-five to come to that sort of epiphany and become, you know, less rigid in his ways rather than more. Well, it's interesting. My pastor doesn't drink, but he won't say anything about anybody else drinking. And and the reason he doesn't drink is his dad was an alcoholic. And so two reasons. One, what he saw he couldn't stand, you know, he, and, and two, he doesn't want to test the first drink in your alcohol theory, you know, so, because his dad was an alcoholic. So I get that. <clears throat> but, I, you know, he, he is he's Southern Baptist, Dale. And so he's saying to me one day, he said, would you drink a beer in front of the congregation? I said, sure. He said, you would? And I go, yeah, I, there's nothing wrong with having a beer. He said, would you have six beers? And I said, no. Probably not. And I said, because, you know, get a little drunk then, and that's not something I'd want to do in front of a congregation. He started laughing, you know, and he goes, well, that's kind of the way I guess people should approach drinking. I said, exactly. Moderation and everything, right, Pastor? <laughs> yeah. exactly. I mean, that's, yeah, that's kind of the way it goes. So preaching, and what do you do when you preach, thou shalt not drink? You make it exciting. <laughs> yeah, you make it forbidden and exciting and so you know kids go out and drink yeah that's just uh, uh just an interesting uh an interesting aside that occurred to me yeah and it will be the last interesting aside that occurs to me tonight because you got a, you got a you got a super bowl uh prognostication football is communism okay <laughs> baseball that's a good one that's, that's america's a good one. game <laughs> All right, so just pick a side then. Um, okay, who's um, who's in the, the Super Bowl? The Bucks, the Bucks and the Chiefs. Oh, the Bucks and the Chiefs. Well, yeah. Huh, do I go for Florida man or uh, Midwest good old Americanism? I guess it's the Chiefs, as I pick at random, not knowing anything about the team. <laughs> I'll get, I, I'm going to go ahead and give Tom Brady one more Super Bowl. I'll, I'll talk to you about baseball and, and Formula One racing yeah, we're all just, day long. We're just, I'm not even asking for a score, buddy. Just pick a side. Sure. <laughs> sure. The Chiefs. Kansas City. How could you go wrong? There you go. All right, Bruce. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. You bet. You've been listening to Observations Q&O Podcast for Friday, the 5th of February, 2021. Thanks for listening. On behalf of Bruce McQueen, this is Dale Frank saying we appreciate the fact that you listen and we hope you'll be back again next week. Until then, have a great week, everybody. So long. So long.